The Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 450 for January 18th, 2015. A possible suitor for BlackBerry emerges, Google releases Chrome Remote Desktop for iOS, and closing the loop on closing iPhone applications, my name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Kappas. Brought to you each week by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android, iOS, and Windows Phone 8 for $1.99. So kicking off the news with a rumor this week, Samsung reportedly has approached BlackBerry about a potential acquisition. This is a report, according to Reuters, that came out this past Wednesday. Citing people familiar with Samsung's plans, Reuters suggests that Samsung would be willing to pay up to $7.5 billion for the Canadian phone maker. Samsung is most interested in BlackBerry's patent portfolio, and executives of the companies are supposedly have met in the last week regarding a potential deal. BlackBerry still makes devices such as the Passport and the BlackBerry Classic, but the bulk of its current business is based on selling mobile device management software to businesses and government customers. Samsung looks to build up a strong base of enterprise customers as it sells its own Knox security platform. Both BlackBerry and Samsung have denied that they were in talks with each other about such a deal. So a uh, very interesting story. Again, not uh, confirmed by any means, but something to uh, to discuss here and you know as we have gone through the last couple of years blackberry has certainly changed quite a bit over the time and there was a there was a period where we thought that we may see them completely fold we thought there was a time where you know maybe they would get picked up by somebody and so a rumor like this certainly kind of falls into the the realm of rationale uh rational rationality when we talk about the things that could happen with blackberry yeah, because, you know, obviously their their handset business is not going to really be a very good, um, uh, you know, asset for Samsung. I mean, they, they've got plenty of, uh, you know, traction with their Galaxy lines and the, 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 the you know, small, the, the mid-range phones they have. I mean, they have tons of models all over the place. So really the patents are what would give them uh, some ability and obviously the enterprise support. If they could somehow leverage you know, the, the, the BlackBerry services into a real strong enterprise. But, you know, it's still probably even a little too late for that. I think so many businesses have moved away and gone to the, you know, the Active Sync and the, the Office 360 and use just their iOS devices. So I, that, even that doesn't seem like it'd be that great of an idea for Samsung's future. And then the kind of non-consumer facing piece of this, the patent portfolio as well, uh, obviously makes a lot of sense um, if you look at where they could potentially have some savings in the creation of their devices, uh, the manufacturing, the design and all of that. Depending on what BlackBerry is holding, um, they could be they could <clears throat> they could find themselves with just the savings there alone. Um, so it's, it's it'll be interesting to see kind of how this plays out. But obviously there would be um, there would be some very big shifts in what the company would be doing if they were owned. Uh, subsequently by Samsung, it would definitely not be the same type of company that you see today. You may see a couple of years of kind of status quo, but ultimately would be shifting away from that. Samsung is very different, uh, you know, very different goals and the, the metrics that they look at for how their devices, uh, the, the productivity of a particular device is done. Think about what Samsung has done over the last year where they used to throw out all sorts of different devices and say, well, let's just see what works here. And, and they've really kind of pared it down to just some very core devices that are going to make sense for them from from a profitability standpoint. And obviously, you've got the mainstream guys, the Note and the Galaxy lines, but then you've got a couple of offshoots. But other than that, there there's not 200 devices on the market right now from Samsung like we had at one point just three or four years ago. And so I, I would imagine that they would try and figure out with BlackBerry what it would mean to have one 
I'll just say kind of iconic device and that would be it. Well, they're not stupid. They realize this market is, is maturing, the smartphone market, and then even you know mobile phones and cell phone business in general has been maturing a lot, and the profit margins have been you know dropping quite a bit because it's just uh, basically just commodity now. So they have to uh, kind of readjust their strategy. And if if I were you know BlackBerry at this point, I would be seriously looking at what the next five years looks like. And um, if if you're someone that's in a position of you know to make uh, to, you know, to, to get the company out of where the, the, the kind of the, the long term next six to eight quarters, no, that's short term, short term, you know, six to eight quarters from now, uh, potential losses and get them into into a good position. I think it's it's something that you do. But again, no seats at the table here by anyone who's talking. And so it's all rumor right now. So we'll talk about this more as we hear some more details. Next up, if you're calling someone at Coke these days, don't bother leaving a voice message. In fact, it may not even be an option for you. Late last month, the company eliminated voicemail at its Atlanta campus. The shift was not about cost cutting. Uh, The savings were just a couple hundred thousand dollars. And it was all about getting in sync with the way employees, especially the younger ones, were already communicating. Droves of users were abandoning conversation in favor of texting or email. So since 2008, the volume of text messages, of course, has increased significantly and voicemail has gone down. So what does that actually mean for business and, and, and how do we think about this, right? I mean, if you're someone who's doing business today and, and you know you work in a corporate environment, you probably know all too well uh, the, the benefits and potentially shortfalls or shortcomings of voicemail. It's not something that you necessarily want to handle uh, or can handle. Uh, when you're on the go, if you have happen to have a system that sends your voicemails to you in email, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty convenient, but then you still have to listen to the message and then figure out if it's something that you can handle or deal with at that time, uh, versus text-based communication certainly is, is a very nice way to, to, to talk to people. And, um, there, this article pointed out that more, more, someone is more willing to return an email at any hour of the day on their schedule than a voicemail. And, uh, certainly there's always a time for voice communication. And I think there, that that is something that is lost in a lot of people that messages sometimes have to be delivered over the phone, but that doesn't mean that that necessarily has to happen over a voicemail. Yeah. Voicemail uh, to me, it's, yeah, it's a double-edged sword. It's uh, great to have that convenience, especially if it's an important call, you want to have somebody be able to uh, leave you their phone number if need be, right? I mean, if they've only got a phone and they're calling you because they don't have a way to text message you or get a hold of you directly via email due to some reason, why not have that option available? Uh, you know, to me, it's just kind of crazy not to. I mean, it's uh, even though I absolutely despise voicemails, and that's why I use Google Voice just for the voicemail basically now because it's great because it has the transcription, so you get the, 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 the kind of the indication of what's going on in the email without having to sit there and listen to the 10 minute email or a uh, voicemail that some people leave. But really, it's, it's a very strange uh, concept for a business not to have that way of communication, but. I can see why it's going this way because a lot of people just really don't like voicemail or, or leave voicemails at all anymore. And, and, you know, I wonder if this is going to be kind of coming up to the mobile side here that, you know, instead of having the built-in visual voicemail on the iPhone, will they just get rid of that? Because is it really necessary? I don't know. Um, you know, first and foremost, I find that there are, to your point, there are a lot of times when someone doesn't have your email, if you're communicating with outside vendors or, or you know, customers, clients that uh, may not be able to or willing to, to leave 
uh, or send you an email. Uh, and, and so perhaps that's the best way to go is that they just call a, a main number and that's how they get to you. Uh, but keeping in that in mind, if you don't if you don't have that option, um, how else could it could it occur? Uh, is it just a you know a system that says someone called? Uh, you know someone takes a message and sends you an email or something like that. You still need you know the human resource part of it to handle stuff like that. Yeah, because if you had just an operator taking messages like you know you know companies used to. I mean, we didn't have voicemail before. I mean, that would be a more personal approach too. Because maybe that would maybe that would get you know you as a caller calling into somebody at Coke for example, to somebody who can help you. Instead of just trying to reach out one specific person, maybe somebody else can help you in the company. Maybe that would give you better customer service. So, you know, that is a way to do it, but I don't think they'd be saving $100,000 then at that point. I think they'd probably be saving less than that, but maybe they're, maybe that's actually accounting for somebody to uh, take messages to. I'm, I'm not sure, but, you know, that would also be a way to do it also. If I, if, if I think about this a little bit more in depth, I mean, this, this is, it almost seems kind of like a fad type of, of move that they've made here. Cause you hear about this too, on the email side, people just get fed up with email and someone makes an edict and says, our company's no longer going to be doing email. Um, you know, and who knows how long that actually sticks around or that company sticks around, but <laughs> this is Coke. This is a major, you know, fortune 500 blue chip, uh, co- you know, corporation that's made this decision to do this. So it's, it's not a, it's not a small decision by a small company. Um, it's a relatively big decision by a small or buy a big company and uh so it, it it's it is a it is an interesting thing to think about but um you know maybe it's it could be something as simple as when you call uh you could you go into a system that says if you'd like to leave your phone number uh, like a pager type of system that says someone called but then again there's no context to it so what does that mean then and it, it just it doesn't make any sense no it really doesn't it, do, it doesn't it's 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 interesting it's kind of an interesting bit of uh uh pop culture here kind of that you know let's abandon in this voicemail system it's all set up already to go uh, and everybody's uh, used to it and expecting it but nobody likes it mm. uh, well it's i guess i would say the same thing about traditional mail right i don't really find it much of a need for mail anymore uh, i get package deliveries and everything else that usually comes to me comes through you know an email or some sort of electronic communication so Anyway, uh, it's it's uh, it's an interesting thing. We just wanted to bring it up and chat about it because it's something that could be followed by other people. So moving on, T-Mobile on Thursday announcing Simply Prepaid, a new monthly prepaid plan that when launched on January 25th, will simplify the choices available for prepaid users. Simply Prepaid <clears throat> offers unlimited data, talk, and text with a choice of LTE buckets. So for $40 a month, you get unlimited data, talk, and text with up to one gig of LTE data. $50 a month gives you the same plus three gigs of LTE data, $60 a month, and gets you up to five gigs of LTE data. So simply prepaid prepaid customers will have Wi-Fi calling as an additional feature. Uh, Those speeds of the LTE data are limited to eight megabits per second uh, were allocated. So uh, they are then after that slowed down to 128K for the rest of the account cycle. No tethering is allowed on these plans. Data stash is not included. Simple, global, music freedom, and other simple choice features are also not included. So really the only thing you get, you get fast data up to 8 megabits per second. 
you get the Wi-Fi calling, and that's the extent of it as far as the the additional things here. But again, this is a prepaid plan, so keep that in mind. T-Mobile also has confirmed that these new plans are not replacing its current prepaid options. They'll simply be available alongside the existing options starting on the 25th of January. So if you want to go with one of the, I'll just say, more complicated or more savvy type of plans where you can choose to be a little bit more uh, you know, choosy as far as what you want to, want to have there, like the $30 a month for 5 gigs of uh, LTE data and unlimited messaging, uh, and then the uh, and then only 100 minutes of data, you can still do that. Uh, but this is just saying, look, we've got some easy options here for those that don't want to think about minutes or text and really don't have to think about data, but you want a little bit of 4G LTE data as well. So interesting stuff there if you uh, are looking for a new prepaid option. And in an email this week to users, HP advised them that the to assist them in transitioning to new services, they have decided to extend the shutdown date of WebOS cloud services by two months. The new end date is now March 15th, 2015, versus the previously announced end of January, on January 15th, 2015. All devices running WebOS will continue to run after the cloud services are terminated, they'll just no longer be able to download new apps or updates. The HP app catalog will be unavailable after the shutdown as well. Backup and restoring devices from the cloud will no longer be available. Setup of new devices it will not work. Recovery of lost passwords will not work. And uh, some other general features will not work as well. It's now been three years since the last WebOS device was sold. Wow, the, the, the aspect of not being able to set up new devices, that's the toughest one really in this, in this whole scheme of things. Because you, you really, when you, when you first power on a uh, WebOS device, you, you can't really do anything unless you uh, put in, uh, set, up, you know, set up the new device password. You have to type in your credentials and get it to authenticate. On the phone, there was a way to bypass it with some codes, and it, it, there was a really tricky way you could do it. I remember doing it a couple times when I was trying to do the uh, the, the the hacking the WebOS and putting a different version on, or or make the Franken Pre. That's what it was uh, for Sprint, but it was um, it, it wasn't really convenient. So obviously, this is kind of the uh, kind of the end of the road. Nail on the coffin for sure. So WebOS users, you better start looking for a new device because this is this is it for you. Virgin Mobile on Friday announcing a new plan available exclusively to Walmart customers, including shareable data without contracts. The plans are available to four specific phones for between two and four lines per account. The two-line plan costs $65 a month and includes unlimited talk and text and four gigs of shareable data. The three-line plan costs $90 a month and boasts shareable data to up to eight gigabytes. The four-line plan is $115 a month and includes 12 gigs of shared data. Users can manage their shared data via the account application. Top-ups are $10 for every one gigabyte, and the plan includes parental controls and low-cost international options. They're also offering an add-on that provides unlimited monthly access to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pandora for $5 per month per line. Using these apps or services will not impact the subscriber's monthly data allotments as long as they subscribe to an add-on plan. The four handsets capable of using the shared data include the HTC Desire 510, the LG Tribute, the LG Volt, and the Samsung Galaxy Core Prime. More devices will be compatible with the plan beginning at the end of February. The new no-contract shared data plans available starting January 17th. Lastly, two revised single-line plans were announced, $35 a month for 300 voice minutes, unlimited messaging, and 2.5 gigs of high-speed data, and $40 a month for unlimited voice and messaging and the 2.5 gigs of high-speed data. 
In device news, Samsung on Monday announcing the Galaxy A7. This is the largest of the three A-series handsets. Uh, The A7 features a 5.5-inch HD Super AMOLED 720p screen with a slim metallic design. It will be sold in with two multi-core processor configurations, including one based on Samsung's Exynos platform and the other on Samsung's, or excuse me, Qualcomm's Snapdragon line. The A7 includes a 13-megapixel camera, 5-megapixel wide-angle angle user facing camera and it will ship with either two gigs of ram and 16 gigs of storage and supporting micro sd cards up to 64 gigabytes the typical uh, set of radios includes bluetooth gps nfc and wi-fi it will also support category 4 lte 2600 milliamp hour battery android 4.4 kitkat and of course samsung's custom software white black and gold will be the color options for you pricing and availability not disclosed Zomini on Thursday <clears throat> announcing the MyNote or MeNote, a new flagship device for the company that will compete with Samsung's Galaxy Note and Apple's iPhone 6 Plus. The MeNote features a 5.7-inch full HD display, 2.5 gigahertz Qualcomm 801 processor with 3 gigs of RAM and a 3,000 milliamp hour battery with Quick Charge 2.0. The main camera is a 13 megapixel Sony sensor with optical image stabilization, f2.0 aperture, and two-tone LED flash. The user-facing camera has a 4 megapixel sensor the phone has curved glass on the front and the back surfaces and it measures 6.95 millimeters thick it will be 370 dollars it'll also announce a pro version of the my note uh, or me note which steps up the display to quad hd resolution improves the processor to a snapdragon 810 with better graphics and will have four gigs of memory that version of the device will cost around $520. At the moment, Zomni sells its devices only in China, India, and other emerging markets. The company has a global uh, ambition to it, and but has not yet announced plans to sell these devices outside of those home regions. And Samsung this week announcing the Z1, its first smartphone to run on the Tizen platform. Tizen is Samsung's proprietary operating system, and the launch has been delayed a number of times over the last 18 months. The device is an entry-level smartphone initially sold in India for the equivalent of $92. The Tizen OS includes a browser optimized for low data usage as well as messaging and other core features. Samsung loaded the phone with media apps too, including Hang... uh, uh, hangama.com to provide access to Bollywood content as well as Joybox for music and video content. It includes a 4-inch WVGA display, 1.2 gigahertz dual-core processor, less than a gig of RAM, 4 gigs of internal storage, and it does support micro SD memory cards. It has a 3.1 megapixel main camera and a VGA user-facing camera. Uh, it will also offer some different modes in the software to give per, uh, particular features to people who want them. They did not say immediately when the Z1 would be sold, Uh, in other regions, but look for this one to be announced in emerging markets. On the software side, Google on Monday releasing its Chrome remote desktop application for iOS after a release on Android in April of 2014. The application, available for both iPhone and iPad, allows users to remotely access their computer via the Chrome remote desktop application available in the Chrome web store when installed on the host PC. Now, to use the service, you download and run uh, a setup through the Chrome remote desktop application 
connection on your Mac or PC, then open up the Chrome Remote Desktop app uh, in iOS and establish a connection via your Google account. So I've been using this as pretty much my main way to get into my work computer for the last couple of months, and I found it to be quick and easy and relatively problem-free. Uh, in the past, I was a LogMeIn user for many years, but ditched that service in early 2014 for a variety of reasons. Um, I've been using traditional v, uh, VNC services on and off. Uh, I've also been uh, testing out the different things like Microsoft Remote uh, Desktop. Um, but honestly, having to VPN into the network made it just hard enough to do, including some network congestion issues on the VPN connection side that actually slowed down my user experience, that I really decided to look for other options. And so now being able to use the iPad uh, for this functionality is fantastic. And uh, the testing that I did this week has proven it to be relatively successful for me. Yeah, and typically I VPN in as well. But what uh, what I have trouble with is the um, uh, if you're remote using Wi-Fi and you don't have your uh, LTE connection because of you're in a low signal area or something like that, you cannot make a VPN connection uh, with the the PPTP. Uh, some of the other ones you can, but it depends where you're at and what the the services they're hosting. Uh, you know, and usually this gets around it because usually these connections are just typical HTTPS, so they're usually usually just uh, very uh, common protocols that can be used unlike vpn yeah so i've got a couple of different things to this uh you know that i'm using with this that i have to somehow kind of work through so obviously number one i've got a um i've got an issue right now um with the screen size and the resolution changes between uh the computer screen itself and the uh and the, and the ipad screen so <clears throat> what i mean by that is that you've got a different aspect ratio and so it um it doesn't change as as quickly or as nicely as like the the microsoft remote desktop application does so um, um, but either way, I, I've been using it all the time on the desktop, and so I'm very comfortable with it as a, as a program. Um, and like I said, it's worked pretty solidly for me. So not having to do anything else other than launch the app, click on uh, the computer, and move on is, is a really nice thing. So I, I'm, uh, I'm excited to see this. I've been thinking about this a lot. I don't think we've talked about it on the show, but it's a, it's a very, very good way to uh, remotely connect. And if you happen to use Chrome and have Chrome running on your devices, uh, on your computers, that is, then it's, it's a great way to get in. So check it out if you're looking for something Chrome Remote Desktop, and it's free, best of all. Skype announcing version 5.9 of its application for the Apple iPhone this week. The updated version has an improved dial pad that suggests contacts as users type in order to make it faster to find people. Skype also updated the chat picker, which makes starting conversations with select contacts easier. Skype 5.9 for the iPhone is free to download from the iTunes App Store. Google on Wednesday announcing updates to its Android and iOS Translate applications that make real-time conversations between different languages easier. First, Google Translate now lets users instantly translate text using the camera. When the camera is pointed at signs or text in French, German, Italian, Portuguese, Russian, or Spanish, it will instantly overlay the words in English and vice versa. Previously, users had to take a picture to get the text translation. Now it occurs in real time. Further, Google has improved the performance of its real-time conversation mode, which allows two people to speak directly into one another using different languages. The app can recognize when two different languages are being spoken and translate them back and forth during a face-to-face -face conversation. Google says that the new versions of the Google Translate for Android and iOS application should arrive in the next few days, and indeed they have. Uh, Google pointed out that this is the first time <coughs> it has offered some of these advanced features 
including camera and spoken translation to iOS applications. It is a free download, best of all. I mean, this is this is <clears throat> pretty crazy stuff. The fact that you can just hold the camera up and it translates in real time or translates conversation in real time, too. Yeah, it's uh, very Star Trek. And, and yeah, I guess I didn't realize it didn't have it on the iOS version. I never really loaded it, but I remember reading that for the Android version a while ago. But yeah, it, to me, it, it's totally like Star Trek. It's the universal translator. It's just the real time, uh, you know, unbelievable power and and, uh, you know, I have yet to use this or had a need to use it, but I do use Google Translate quite a bit for websites and, and you know, translating certain, uh, you know, certain things. Uh, and that's amazingly fabulous. But I just, you know, having it real time just seems just it's kind of mind blowing. When this when this application first came out, obviously, you could take pictures, upload it and it would translate them. Right. So um, I, I used to have the application on my phone. I, I didn't really use it all that often. So I took it off. But now just having the ability to do this, um, it, it absolutely has a spot on my device now where even if I don't use it more than once a year, it's still convenient to have on there and it's probably going to be useful to have on there. So uh, something that I've filed away in a folder and I know that I have it and at some point I can just pull it up and use it. So pretty cool stuff here with Google Translate. In other software news, Facebook on Tuesday has partnered with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children to begin to push Amber Alerts to users' Facebook news feeds. Facebook said it was inspired to create the service after the Amber Alert posted to Facebook by a user resulted in the recovery of an abducted child. According to Facebook, the alerts will appear on both the desktop and mobile device, Oh, it won't push notifications or trigger alarms to lock screens. Users will be able to share Amber Alerts as well as access the details on the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children's website. The Amber Alerts will be location-specific, and the number of people alerted will depend on the size and the potential reach uh, and search area, depending on law enforcement uh, and what their agencies that they have involved. Facebook said some people may see a few Amber Alerts per year, while others won't see any. In questions and comments this week, uh, first up is a question from Jose. He says, Mickey and Joey, I recently used the AT&T Next upgrade to upgrade my phone from the Samsung Galaxy S4 to the Galaxy Note 4. I'm sure you guys have talked about good places to sell phones in the past, but I need a refresher. The S4 is in nearly perfect condition, so if you could, please give some suggestions on to where we could sell uh, love the podcast. Thank you, Jose. So, Jose, there's there's all sorts of different options out there. Um, I don't think we're going to come up with one specific one that's going to be kind of your, your silver bullet best option, uh, at least, you know, just based on what we know. Um, but just kind of talking through some of the different things that I've I've done in the past. Um, most recently, I've been a big fan of just trading in the devices to get a, a credit on on the carrier. Um, but this is not going to be for a Galaxy Note. Uh, well, an S4, I guess. Um, an S4 may, may may get you a lot of money on there, but it's probably not going to be the most money. Um, but either way, that is a pretty decent way to ensure that you've got some credit with your carrier, and then you can use that to pay your bills. So that's one way. So let's pretend that the S4 is you'll get. $200 to do that. Next up, you've got all sorts of different third-party services um, where you you can go to um, you know, like a Gazelle and, and trade in the device there. They're going to probably give you a little bit more, but obviously not uh, the full value of a device that you would be get by selling at private party. Yeah, and there's uh, there's also other ones like Swappa. You can do Craigslist, uh, you know, that, that you know, make sure you, you know, follow kind of the meet in a public place or meet at, at a cell phone store so the other person, you know, knows that it's uh, not stolen and all that uh, where they can activate it or check the account make sure it's valid um, you know those are kind of the other options eBay is also an option but that's uh, kind of lower down on the totem pole there's it's you know if you're selling on eBay as you've experienced Mickey there's uh, there's a lot of hassle involved uh, w with eBay and cell phones 
Yeah, and uh, and I, I would probably not recommend eBay at this point, unfortunately. I, I hate to say that just because I, I, I don't want to steer someone away from uh, from it if that happens to be a, a viable option for you. Swap is an interesting one, though. I did sell uh, an iPhone 5S on there relatively recently, and uh, I got pretty good money for it. Uh, it was, I think, around, right around $500 for, for the device on there. Right now on Swappa, they're saying a Samsung Galaxy S4 goes between two and $400, depending on, of course, condition, carrier, and all of that. So S-W-A-P-P-A is the site there. Joey mentioned the price list. Again, got to be very careful with that and who you meet and where you meet and stuff like that. But um, I have a, a family member that exclusively does cell phone deals on Craigslist. That's where he buys all of his phones because he doesn't want to sign contracts. Uh, so that kind of stuff does work as well. Uh, and those are probably the, the main ones. There's a lot of different other websites out there. Uh, if anyone else has sold a device recently, including a Galaxy device, we'd love to hear on where you did it, how the experience was, and if we can give Jose any additional recommendations. Please let us know by sending us an email. And uh, next up here, and I guess finally for the day, is a question from Mike. And he says, Mickey and Joey, I've got a question about iOS. I've been telling my wife that she should regularly double click on the menu button on her iPhone 6 and swipe up to close each application running in the background. This is actually something I see all the time and I'm constantly amazed that people actually know how to do this, by the way. It kind of shocks me that I think it's people figure it out and uh, and just keep using it. Anyway, going back to Mike's question, he says, I've insisted that all of those apps running all the time slow down her phone's processing speed, but I heard from a coworker that uh, my understanding may have been mistaken and my suggestion, suggestion may have been misplaced. Does seeing the applications when we double click the menu button mean that they were open recently, that they're running in the background, and does removing them improve the performance of the phone? Thanks uh, for all the great shows It's uh, and all the best in a great 2015. Mike from Los Gatos. Okay, so for your questions here, seeing the, the menu open recently, that is true, that uh, the order of the you last had them open is the, the order that they, they appear in in that menu. And running in the background, maybe, because they may be running or they may not be, depending on what the application was doing and how long ago that it was running and what other uh, applications you're running. Because if you open something that uses a lot of memory, like Safari, or and have a, a few tabs open or a big game or something, it will release some of the, the, the resources used by other apps that are open in the background. But it doesn't release all of them, and sometimes the other apps, even if they don't really seem to be doing anything, I've looked in my, uh, you know, that there's a, a process thing where you can see the actual running processes and the memory being used uh, by the iOS device, and those things still do re use resources in the background. So uh, removing them does improve the performance to some extent because you're freeing up memory that then the system doesn't have to go and free up itself if you're launching a new application uh, in the background. So uh, for me, I go in and close everything maybe every week week and a half two weeks depending if i have any issues or if something seems kind of wonky then i'll close it all and then restart the device so that's what i recommend doing uh for for you know for your device kind of keep it clean every once in a while but for me i don't regularly do it i know some people do it after every single application they use they double click it and close it i'm like uh you, that's getting a little excessive there because then that does take away some of the functionality uh, of multitasking because then it's you know saves the, the last state where you're at so what, what's kind of happened here? So things have changed. Uh, it used to be where you, you had nothing running in the background except for the core iOS applications. And then in, uh, was it iOS 6, I believe, or maybe iOS 7, uh, 4 that they made the change? Has it been that long? 
where they started to allow exceptions running in the background? Yeah, it was. I think it was four because then they had um, uh, then you could do the GPS stuff and some of the music playing and uh, on other applications other than just the, the iOS music app. So there were, yeah, there were, there were four exceptions to this. So you had streaming audio, so Pandora, Slacker, uh, you know, those types of applications. Voice over IP apps like Skype could continue running in the background. Uh, turn-by-turn applic- uh, navigation stuff, uh, GPS stuff, as you mentioned. And then for things that were, were, you know, completing tasks. So if you're uploading a video or something to Facebook, it would, it would continue doing that until you actually, that had been completed. Well, it wasn't complete. It was like 10 minute limit. It, it, yeah, it didn't have long. It didn't have long to run. Yeah. So um, so there there are uh, there's you know a lot of occasions where you probably want to be closing applications if it's uh, you know, if it's not working properly, as an example, uh, or if it's something that, you know, potentially is a, a, maybe a game and it's, it's taking up a lot of memory. Um, but it, most people aren't going to be able to understand, you know, what that is or, or when that is. So um, I, I would say the um, the recommendation may not be completely misplaced, but it's definitely not completely necessary either you don't have to be doing this all the time but if you start to see wonkiness with the device it's it's it is a good process to go through to close all the apps yeah exactly so it's 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 not a really good answer for you because there's it's not a real exact science because it really depends what you're doing and depends what you're opening too. uh it, it depends the applications that you have because some of them take up more memory and some of them use more processes in the background and and depends how many different apps you're opening at the, at the same time so yeah, and, and so to that point, uh, there there are applications and processes that you'll see running in the background from days or weeks ago in an application that you may you may not have opened. So there's still stuff that's running. There is, there is, and that's why I say you know every week and a half, couple weeks, close them all, and you know restart the phone if it seems crazy. But uh, uh, you know it 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 doesn't hurt to do it. It so it uh, you know it's kind of like uh, just do it every once in a while. Yeah. All the time? Probably not. Every once in a while, not a bad policy. If you have any questions or comments for us, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call, 206-203-3734, or send us an email, questions at com. We'd love to hear from you with any questions that you have or comments about things that we've talked about on this or recent shows. Joey, thank you very much, as always, for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.